welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation podcast that goes behind the scenes and in-depth with each month's cover story author. I'm your host, Dan Lucas, the Senior Director of Strategic Communication at U.S. Chess, a 501c3 nonprofit with an educational mission of empowering people through chess, one move at a time. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the Join button. There you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print or digital copies of Chess Life for Chess Life Kids, discounted chess books and equipment, and you help U.S. Chess grow the game. Now, let's start your clock and listen to this month's edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. So welcome to the September edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our guest today is Grandmaster Elshin Muradiabadi. He is originally from Iran, but has been a member of the U.S. Chess Federation since February 2017. He has a fairly extensive chess resume. Uh, he won the 2001 Iranian Championship at the tender age of 16. And when he came to the U.S. and was playing for Texas Tech University, he was part of the team that won the Final Four of Collegiate Chess in 2012. In 2015, he won the Pan American Intercollegiate Team Championship with Texas Tech University. He graduated from Sharif University of Technology with a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering. Uh, that school is in Tehran, Iran. And he received an MBA degree from the Rawls College of Business, which is part of the Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. So, Elshin, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. And hello, everyone who is listening to us. So, Elshin wrote our cover story about the National Open, and this is his first cover story with Just Life, although he has written for us before. Tell us a little bit about what you found the most interesting at the National Open, Elshin. Well, National Open is a very unique event in many ways. I can be specific about two or three uh, points. One is that uh, all participants, they're all in one hall. I love that. Uh, you know, all the players, they play in the same hall, the same uh, same groups you can see from the 1100 players, all the Grandmasters games, they're all happening at the same time. And it's very inspiring to see 500 players playing in the same place. The other one is the, is the pre-tournament camp where you start to get engaged with the players of different levels and you get to know them and you talk to them. That is very uh, intriguing also to me. And uh, the other point for me is the uh, uh, attitude and the character of the organizers, both Al and General Lossoff. So cheerful, so uh, supportive, and they are always in touch and uh, caring about players. And uh, with every every player in every tournament, very, 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 very supportive. That that's that's very nice, and uh, I, I think it helps with the atmosphere. And, oh, finally, I forgot this point. They have a women's section tournament. They have the uh, National Open for Women. They have a separate tournament. That is something we need on top of the U.S. championship. Uh, and uh, I found it very, very interesting and very inspiring for, for uh, girls and women coming and playing a tournament of their own. I think these are the number of points I could say that helps with the atmosphere of the festival. You know, the, It's an ongoing thing for uh, an entire week almost, so I love that. 
So uh, let's actually jump to the Women's Open, uh, because that's also covered in the September issue of Chess Life, written by Sabina Farser. Um, you, you happen to know a, a thing or two about Sabina, don't you? Uh, yeah, well, we are engaged and we've been living together. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so congratulations. Thank you. And uh, also, when, when you and I met for the first time in person, uh, you were at the U.S. Open in Middleton, Wisconsin, accepting an award for Sabina as Women Chess Player of the Year and gave a very heartfelt uh, speech on her behalf. So uh, that, that was very interesting. Uh, can you tell us a, a bit about what Sabina f- thought about winning that award, the Women Chess Player of the Year? Well, that's uh, I think what a chess player can hope for, can, can dream about, like being the being a, a recognized for their achievements as a player of the year by the U.S. Chess Federation, and I think this is something uh, that Sabina has been trying to achieve for years. He's, she's been playing um, in the U.S. Championship since she immigrated in 2008, and uh, uh, always a hardworking person at the board and a true fighter. I think it meant a lot uh, to her. It was sort of a pity that uh, she couldn't be there to accept the award herself, but uh, I tried to be the best representative for her and for her message for the girls and chess players. And uh, it meant a lot to her. She's very happy about it. Well, good. And and I, and listeners, I think you'll really enjoy both of these stories in this September issue. Elshin, because you are relatively new to our listeners and new to the U.S. chess scene, um, at, at least certainly you've played for you played for Texas Tech back in 2012, but you didn't start officially representing the Federation until last year. Uh, tell us a little bit about your start in chess, whether what the differences are about playing chess in Iran and the U.S. or the rest of the world, and and the relative popularity or not of chess in Iran. Well, when I started playing chess, uh, chess had just uh, the the ban over chess has been lifted just three had been lifted three years before I started playing chess, and chess was banned during the Iran-Iraq War and uh, since the revolution in Iran. So, I. What we inherited as kids were just an absolute nothing. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a place that there was so much interest, but uh, there were no kids, there were no scholastic tournament, there, we had no grandmasters, we had no international masters when I started playing chess. And uh, the, uh, what our generation had all the, uh, my generation and the following was had all the uh, motivations and desire to get better. And uh, we took every opportunity to improve. And nowadays, chess is a very well-developed sport in Iran. And the national team of Iran is like 18.5 year old. That is big, and they won the Asian's, Asian Nations Cup. And uh, but back back in my time, we like having laptop, computer, things like that were super luxuries. We couldn't even imagine that. So we would take any book we could, any magazine we could, and we would read, I would at least do that, read every single page. Try to add to my knowledge as much as I can. Uh, There's a a funny story. I met uh, Daniel King, a very renowned uh, British grandmaster and uh, author and, you know, chess promoter and commentator and told him that I learned a lot from him. And he said, how so? And uh, I told him that they used to translate his articles into into, into Iranian Persian magazines, and I would read them, every single one. 
and that's how I, I was trying to make the most of every single material that would come to my way and any tournament I had a chance to play I would treat if it's going to be my last tournament so I would give my best shot in every tournament I think that's how things uh, started getting better and of course the federation started spending some money on players and it brought coaches from Russia and it helped a little bit it, not a little bit it helped extensively at first and then gradually it, the existence of coaches in long term helped a lot so with the books that you were reading were they uh, mostly in English or did you also have a smattering of Russian chess books uh, both both mostly Russians because um, well, the neighboring countries, Azerbaijan and Armenia, luckily for Iranians, the two very advanced nations in chess and uh, uh, the proximity. So, yeah, well, of course, I couldn't, I couldn't read Russian, of course, uh, but luckily for us, chess has a universal language that are the moves. <laughs> and uh, you mostly were Russian at first, but English books came along after, like, I was 14, 15, we could have English books too. I remember I started reading... Uh, the Ruski books in, in English. And then what precipitated your coming to the U.S.? Both uh, pursuing the further chess and mainly what I'm still working on is to get my PhD in uh, the, the field I like, in the area I like, and be able to spend time in academia. Well, I haven't fulfilled the, my main goal for coming to the U.S. And uh, the other one was that I wanted to pursue playing chess in a... In a better style and freestyle like I could choose which tournament I want to play I wasn't forced to follow a certain calendar and uh, be able to follow my dream or follow my goals in the way I want to be I take a great deal of uh, um, respect and uh, care for autonomy and being able to make your own choices so I thought US is the perfect place to do so so are you actively pursuing a PhD right now I do not, but I was pursuing one at Texas Tech. Unfortunately, didn't get to a very great end, but I haven't given up on the dream. So I'm trying to get back. So for, for those of us just run-of-the-mill chess players, the idea of being both pursuing grandmaster studies, studying theory and such that you have to for that, and also pursuing a PhD just seems like that's just too much brain power for one person. Uh, I hope I hope I can talk about it after I, I obtain my title, uh, obtain my PhD. But um, I, when I was in high school, I was meant to, I was expected to be a good academic person because most of my classmates in high school were very uh, strong in mathematics, physics, and chemistry. And uh, I was going to a niche high school in Iran, so chess wasn't on, on tap actually. <laughs> But I chose chess because I love the game. Yeah, well, well, good. And that's the best reason to do it. And uh, if you do pursue the PhD uh, further, what, what is your area of interest? I was, um, my research interest was in behavioral sciences. So most likely I will, I will start, I will end up in, in a business school where I can do uh, behavioral studies, mostly cognitive uh, biases. I look, I would like to look at the cognitive biases of people, their, their decision makings and uh, under pressure or uncertainty and short-term decisions as well. That's Those are the things I'm looking into, yes. And yeah, that also, I, I can see how that would definitely have um, uh, competitive aspects for you in the chess world. Exactly. That's my inspiration, again, comes from chess. Short-term decision-making, a lot of uncertainty. You don't have all the knowledge that is out there and we are bounded by our... By our uh, we are bounded by our own rationality, which sort of... Uh, simplify things to, to some heuristics but in the meantime 
it may cut us short in some decisions. I'm, I'm curious, the other real big open tournament on the calendar is the U.S. Open. And there's some definite differences, both in number of participants. The National Open just dwarfs the U.S. Open in participants and the total number of uh, titled players. But other than that, is it generally a, a similar field between the two events? Um, actually, I, I love this question because I, I, the moment I, I, it was the first time I played the U.S. Uh, the, the US Open this year. And the moment I entered the tournament hall, I was like, this is so similar to the National Open because everyone plays in the same hall and uh, you can see all the all the different uh, schedules and all the different group of players and the, uh, the same number of uh, arbiters and TDs who, who are taking care of everything and well-organized, all this, uh, everything provided. So that was very similar. And also, again, you see uh, the TDs that are carrying and they're, they're there for, for the event. So, yeah, I saw that similarity. It, it was very interesting. The fact that every player, all the players in the same hall playing together, this is very, very, very inspiring to me. Another main difference I see is it looks like there's a lot more titled players, especially GMs and IMs, playing in the National Open than in the uh, U.S. Open. Well, that is true. I think that you should ask Al and Janelle about it. I think probably invitations, you know, uh, that may that may matter a little bit because some of the grandmasters get to be invited to, to the event. So that is, I think, uh, adds to the and adds to the um, attractiveness of the t- tournament. So, so I think some of the players uh, would go to the tournaments if they receive some of the grandmasters specifically if they receive conditions like a hotel room or some other things. Right. And in fact, I'm I'm counting here that there were at the national open there were there were 20 grandmasters and 11 IMs. So definitely, you have to earn your pay uh, to, to win the National Open, like Grandmaster Chirilla did this year. Chirilla, uh, uh, Christian did a uh, great job in this tournament, probably played the best tournament of his life, and uh, he deservedly won the tournament, in my opinion. And that's because you just very gently corrected my pronunciation there. I want to go to, uh, of Carilla. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Let's let's look at some of the other top finishers whose names I probably would also mangle. So I'm going to, I'm going to give my best pronunciation and then you tell me how they actually should be pronounced. Absolutely. In second, so second to fourth place, we had Darius Schwierz. Yes, I think I think that's the closest I can get to pronounce his name, but that sounds great. That might be a first for this podcast, me getting a, a difficult name correct on the first go. So thank you. Um, we also had Ilya Nizhnik. Perfect. Maybe I should give up while I'm ahead. <laughs> and, and the last is Nikola Mitkov. Yes, Mitkov. Yes, also he was uh, he was sort of a dark horse because uh, he was one of the lowest low-rated players among the GMs, but he did a great job. Okay. Well, good. So thank, I think I'm going to be making this a regular part of the podcast because I, I, I suspect a lot of our listeners are in the same boat that I'm in about uh, pronunciations of these names. So one thing Carilla said about this win, it was the most challenging victory of my career. Can you uh, expound a bit about why he said that? Well, I didn't talk to him directly about it, but what I would think is that uh, he won, Carilla won the tournament in the fashion that nowadays young GMs go to the tournaments and win tournaments. He showed a great deal of resilience and persistence and consistency in the entire event. He turned around bad positions into a draw or a win. Uh, if the opening wouldn't turn out so well for him, he reacted 
very principled and correctly and get, got the most out of them. And once in the last game, he was in the last position against Schwartz. Uh, he sh he pulled out, actually, I call it a Houdini out of nowhere. A nice trick and then find a, find a great uh, draw to clinch the title. So I can say he he put up his, himself with the, with the challenge. He, he, he was there to face his challenge and uh, made the most out of the head-to-head uh, -head fight. So... And that's how chess has become nowadays. Knowledge, everyone almost has it. So, but the most important is to make the most out of it. And he showed a great deal of uh, ability to do to do so. And I, I think listeners that you will really enjoy going through the the games that Elshin annotated for this article, um, especially the last round game by Carilla. It was um, just a fascinating game to play through. So, Elshin, uh, another. Uh, part regular feature of our podcast is our best question contest that's sponsored by USCFSales.com. Uh, when you when I select a best question, that person gets a fifty dollar gift certificate to USCFSales.com, and I have a few questions here. Uh, I'm going to just call one of them the best question, but the other two are interesting as well. So I'm going to hit you with all three of them. Um, so the one that we're calling the best question came from uh, Chris Wainscott, who's actually a friend of yours, correct? Yes, <laughs> he's a good friend. I think you were uh, at the U.S. Open together this year. Uh, his question is, from the outside, the life of a traveling chess professional looks like an adventure. Always going to new places and doing new things seems exciting. But how much of the lifestyle is really the adventure of seeing new places and doing new things versus just being a never-ending mundane existence of simply trying to find somewhere to do your laundry or buy a new pair of socks? That is a very good question. And especially with the tournaments we have uh, in the U.S., you know, they're very fast-paced. In, in, in Europe, if you're traveling in Europe, you can say that you get to see the place and you can combine tourism with playing a tournament. Uh, this summer, uh, Sabine and I, we toured Europe, we played in France, Belgium, we spent some time in Finland and in Denmark, and it was a great time, we got to see places, but sometimes when you have double rounds and the tournament is so intense and back-to-back -back and you have to go back to work, um, I always thought that I've been to, in a short period of time since I immigrated in 2012, I've been to maybe near 25, or maybe near 30 states, even more than that, but can I say if I had seen all of them? Probably not. I can say maybe I had seen eight or nine. Like I spent time and saw what's going on in those states. So probably with regard to the tournaments we have here and the, the pace that events have and then you have to go back to work and do your things, I think Chris is right about the, the mundane <laughs> part. But if you are going to Europe and play the tournaments, because there's one game a day, and the idea of chess is tourism. Chess is always combined with tourism in in Europe. That's the that's the idea. So I think you get to see a little bit more. You can spend some time more and get to see the place. You know, it's a fascinating answer, and, and you know, those of us who just play the occasional tournament, it's a very different experience for, from you guys that that make a living out of it. Um, we have another question from Daniel Parmet that is very similar to Chris's question, uh, and kind of probably just adds a little bit of information. And he says, with all the time one has to devote to chess over your life. Other things get shifted to the side. What is one thing that you wish you had more time for at any point in your life? Um, and studying science for me. <laughs> I, I wish I had more time to study science. 
all kinds. That's that's one thing I wish I, I, I had put more time and well I spent all this time on chess. I wish I had more time to study science. For me, knowledge is in in any form appealing and interesting. If if you had to think of an ideal job for yourself, do you see yourself as a professor at a university uh, where you're doing research, or is it is is it maybe something else? I think that's that's I see the ideal job for me because I love to educate and teach. I have now a number of students here where I live in North Carolina and some online as well, all around the world actually, and. Uh, I enjoy teaching them. I enjoy seeing them improve, and uh, I enjoy f- finding new ways to do things. So I think the fact you mentioned the professor at the university doing research—that's that—that's ideal. That's very accurate. That's what I would like to be. Well, just from the uh, little time I've spent talking to you in person and via this interview, I, I, I can absolutely see you in that role. I, I, I think you would be a very popular professor with the students. So good luck to you in that. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, we have one last question. And I, I should also sh- indicate that all three of these questions came via the Chessbook Collectors Group on Facebook, um, which is run by Brian Karen. So thank you to uh, all the very active uh, uh, participants in this group. If you're interested in participating in our best question contest, you can also um, tweet us the questions or write to us at letters at uschess.org. And the last question I want to hit you with, Elshin, is by Rory Valle or Valle. I'm not, I'm sorry, Rory, I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name. Um, and this is probably a question I'm going to ask all our interviewees for the next few months. Who do you think will win, Fabi or Magnus? Do you expect a tougher match than Car- the Karyakin one turned out to be? Okay, well, okay, this is uh, a little bit of a difficult question because um, tougher match, I don't know, because the match may be decided by uh, game 12, but I don't think the, the fact that it will be decided by game 12 means that it was not going to be a tough match. I think because both players are uh, going to have different strategy from the match, uh, Carlson Karyakin. Now, Carlson is more alert this time, and uh, uh, Fabiano is not a kind of player who would sit and try to defend the entire uh, match. So it is definitely going to be a nicer match, <laughs> uh, uh, a much much more interesting match to, to watch, and the games are going to be more entertaining, I'm sure. Um, about the chances, well, uh, we have to be uh, we have to give it to Magnus. He has more experience in the matches, so the experience could come handy for him. But at this moment, I don't see them. Uh, I don't see so much difference in terms of uh, power over the board by both players. And this year, uh, Caruana had shown a great deal of improvement in uh, in playing against Magnus, but their head-to-head results are in, in Carlson's favor. So, unfortunately, we have to give the odds to the world champion at this moment, but it's going to be very tense and very close. Do you have a personal relationship with either player? I well, I, I know Fabiana for a long time. I don't I don't know I don't know Magnus. Uh, so I wish Fabiana good luck in that match. Of course, I'm an American, and <laughs> I care for 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 a player from my country to win the match. Of course, and uh, Fabiana is a nice guy. I don't see him. Why shouldn't he win the turn? Why, why shouldn't he win the match? Um, but I think in real realistic way of seeing things, uh, their their past experience playing against each other and uh, uh, experience in the matches, we have to give some odds to in favor of the world champion. But I think it's going to be very close and uh, definitely 
Definitely, Fabiano would win a couple of games, I think. And that's what we're all pulling for here at the U.S. Chess Federation. Uh, we we all love Magnus, too. He's been a, a worthy world champion, but having having an American world champion will be very exciting for the U.S. Chess Federation. Definitely. Definitely. We are looking We are looking to see that, hopefully soon. Elshin, it has been delightful talking to you. You're a wonderful uh, interview, so thank you very much. Uh, your article in Chess Life was fantastic. We look forward to more writing efforts from you thank you Dan for having me I would like to uh, thank everyone who is working hard to promote chess in the US and uh, through the uh, body of the federation working hard to popularize the game and uh, all the results of the efforts here and at the St. Louis Chess Club and everywhere around the country everyone who is trying has brought us to this point that we have now a challenger after such a long time thank you again for having me I hope everyone enjoyed this uh, interview and I hope everyone had a great time. Well, you're welcome, and thank you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now it's time for our monthly segment, Checking In with Jen, where we talk to Senior Digital Editor, Women's Grandmaster Jennifer Shahadi. Jennifer is joining us from the St. Louis Chess Club, where she has just finished her duties as an announcer for the Sinkfeld Cup. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you, Dan. It's been such an incredible summer for chess. I just finished calling the St. Field Cup, as you mentioned, and Fabiano Caruana was a co-champion of the event, along with Magnus Carlsen and Levan Aronian, and uh, it, it's it's really great to see uh, Fabiano doing so well on his road to the World Championship match. Actually, at the opening ceremony of the St. Louis Rapid and Blitz, I was honored to um, give Fabi the uh, the cards that all the, the young people signed to him in the National Scholastics. And I actually read aloud some of the comments that they made, which got lots of chuckles. It, it was a really fun time. And listeners, if you're interested in seeing anything more about those cards, you can see some photos of them in the first move section of the August edition of Chess Life. Um, So we did have uh, not quite daily coverage, but a lot of coverage already at the end of August uh, for the Sinkfeld Cup. And by the time this airs, I'm sure there'll be a recap uh, of of the cup on uschess.org, correct? Yeah, we've been having pretty frequent articles about that. And Vanessa's working on like a tactics article to cover it as well. So yeah, we're keeping you posted on it. Um, Of course, there's also... Uh, replayable YouTube videos of every single episode. Uh, So if you have a lot of time over Labor Day weekend, you can certainly catch up on all of the action. And another thing that uh, happened in the Sinkfield Cup, which is exciting, is we got to see um, the big three on our Olympic team all out there fighting. Wesley So, Hikaru Nakamura, Fabiano Caruana. I I actually asked Fabiano in one of the interviews about his decision to play in the Olympiad, because it's actually just a month before he plays Magnus for the World Championship. And at this time, I'm not sure if Magnus himself is playing in the Olympiad. So it's really cool that Fabi decided to play for the U.S. despite his insane schedule. And so what kind of coverage do we have um, scheduled for the website and social media for the Olympiad, which begins on September 23rd and runs through October 6th? Well, just like 
in Baku, Alejandro Ramirez is going to be um, covering it for us with a daily reports, maybe with one or two days off. Um, so that's going to be really exciting. Alejandro is a really a great writer, and he also just knows the players so well, so he really can give you a kind of insider's view. And in addition to that, I'm really excited that this year we're also going to be hearing from Grandmaster Maurice Ashley, who's going to be at the Olympiad. I'm not exactly sure what all of his other duties are there, but he is definitely going to be doing some. Last year, he, he co a team um, from the Ivory Coast, I believe, and this year he might be doing some other in, in, inspiration or coaching, but he's also going to be doing some video segments for the U.S. Chess Federation, specifically our social media. Um, I'm probably going to be also reposting them onto our website in Alejandro's reports, but Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook will be the place to look for Maurice's contributions. And that's really exciting because he's such a great ambassador for the game. And we haven't actually had a lot of content by him on uschess.org. So he will also be the Chess Life reporter. And that um, article will appear in the January 2019 edition of Chess Life. So Maurice will be doing an awful lot for us while he's in Batumi. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's really great to get him more involved. And, you know, as you always talk about what a great summer of chess, we all, all we've done at this point is scratch the surface of all the international uh, coverage. But we had a lot of going on uh, locally or nationally as well uh, with the U.S. Open and uh, a, a very cool video that you can talk to us about. Yeah, the U.S. Open, I was there this year. Um, last couple of years, it conflicted directly with the Sinkfield Cup. So I, I was sorry to miss it. But this year, it was it was really amazing. I had a great time. Um, it was in outside Madison, Wisconsin and I uh, went to a bunch of the meetings and also hosted the annual awards, which the video for that is also up online if anybody wants to check it out or even, you know, just uh, try to uh, find the video code for their favorite player or victor of one of the awards. Uh, so that was really great. Um, of course, Timur Gureyev won the event, which was really exciting because that gives him a spot into the U.S. championship. Better known these days for his blindfold skills, but Timur really proved that he could bring it in classical chess as well. Just a very competitive tournament. Exciting to see Timur take it down. Uh, as for the meetings, one of the meetings that was most important to me was the U.S. Women's um, Committee meeting um, because it's just such an active committee, the uh, the Women's Committee for the U.S. Chess, uh, uh, chaired by Maureen, and uh, all of the members are just so passionate about bringing more girls and women into the game, and we actually premiered a video there, um, Girls in Chess, uh, edited by Jenny Schweitzer. It shows the KCF All-Girls Nationals in Chicago and shows some girls who played in it and lots of inspiring wisdom that they had about what it's like to be a girl in the game of chess. Uh, and then it actually had its main... So we just wanted to give basically a sneak preview to the people on the U.S. Chess Women's Committee because they, they've done so much and they really helped create this video and the inspiration for it. Uh, and then a week later, it actually premiered in The New Yorker, where it's up to almost a million views, I believe. So it's really exciting to kind of see Chesco mainstream. That's actually the newyorker.com, uh, where those million views are, are, are found. And, you know, if, if you haven't seen this video yet, it's, for, it's, such a, it's a short video, but it really tugs at the heartstrings. There's especially one moment that, that I find very memorable that I'll tease, but you need to go watch the video yourself to, to find out what, what that is. And just recap again, Jen, you said that's going to be on our website uh, starting when? 
we are going to premiere it on our website and YouTube channel on September 7th. Um, right now, there's already uh, like Twitter links to it in an article where you can see it, you can watch it embedded. But the exciting thing about it being on our website and YouTube channel is that anyone can embed it right now at that point. So we're hoping that it spreads even further. And Chelsea Clinton already tweeted about how moving it was to hear from the girls. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to Gary Kasparov, of course, being that it's a tournament that he is involved with, the Kasparov Chess Foundation, All Girls Nationals, um, with Renaissance Chess Nights. It's a, it really seems that it's encapsulating what we're trying to show about girls in chess, that it's not just about becoming a great chess player, it's also about building character. And I think the video really shows it well, and it's kind of what we're trying to do in U.S. chess, to, um, to build character and life skills, not just get more chess champions. Although, obviously, right now, we're kind of doing both things at the same time, considering our earlier conversation about our top-seeded Olympic team who's going to Batumi in the fall. Right. Uh, you know, that, that's worth a quick mention. This is, uh, as I understand it, the first time the U.S. is rated first for the Olympiad. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe that's right. And, you know, we're not the, so we're not the underdogs. And I think it's great. I, I really am feeling the team spirit. I'm feeling um, Grandmaster Sam Shanklin, who's having an incredible year. Ray Robson also recently did well in a tournament in Malaysia. And, uh, of course, the, the big three just have so much experience and drive to bring home gold again. I'm really looking forward to following it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this summer of chess is going to extend well into the fall. So this is fantastic. And, you know, Jen, again, thank you very much for uh, sharing all this. Tell us once again, uh, what our social media accounts are and how listeners can access them. Well, our most popular social media account these days is our Twitter feed at US Chess. We actually had lots of incredible tweets uh, from Eric Rosen, who took over our Twitter a few times during the Sinkfield Cup. So you can go back and relive some of those. And then also, uh, we're US Chess on Facebook on Instagram with an underscore on Instagram. And we also have US Chess Women on Instagram, which is growing quite quickly, as well as on Twitter. Yeah, so listeners, if you're doing anything on social media that you think is interesting or that we should be aware of, please make sure and hashtag us or give us a at uh, US Chess mention. And uh, you know, it, it's something that we should be aware of and can announce on, on future shows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we really want to help everyone, all the different communities in U.S. chess uh, grow their followings as well because I know that it can be sometimes difficult. You feel like you're starting from from nothing if you're just getting into social media and uh, we want to encourage um, more activity and more efforts. Well, Jen, your, your voice sounds remarkably strong considering you just finished uh, not hours but days worth of talking as a Sinkfeld Cup announcer. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us and share everything that's happening with our listeners. And we'll talk to you next month. Talk to you next month. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the September edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Make sure and join us next month for our October edition when we'll be talking to international master Eric Kislik and talking to him about his cover story on direct attacking moves. Eric wrote, It recently dawned on me that it would be very useful for club players to study instructive examples of practical attacks on the king with direct moves because we see this practical side of attacking chess so rarely. I am referring to direct attacking moves to get to the king, actively improving our pieces, and not forgetting about badly placed pieces. 
So does this generate some questions in your mind? Write to letters at uschess.org for your chance to win a $50 gift certificate to uscfsales.com provided by our sponsor, U.S. Chess Federation Sales.